welcome. Legally Brief presents Changing Our Institutions. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer who works with private and public companies, educational institutions, and sports organizations to identify root causes, confront historic failures, and boldly implement change to our institutions. This podcast is for corporate change agents, disruptors, and mindset mavericks who are committed to making our institutions work better for themselves and the next generation. I want to remind you that while I hope you enjoy every episode in the series that we're doing on changing our institutions, the content of this programming is not a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes or information, please head on over to my website. There you'll find information and you can sign up for newsletters and you can learn more about me and my practice. I'm glad you're here. Let's get ready and let's talk and make some changes. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Legally Brief. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer recently announced that he would retire from the Supreme Court. With that, President Biden has announced that he would appoint a qualified replacement. That qualified replacement came along with the preface that it would be an African-American judge appointed. And if you have even glanced at the news reports, the commentary, regardless of who is your news choice, be it something on social media, Twitter, Fox, CNN, or one of the newspapers, that caused, of course, a flurry of comments, some offensive, some inquisitive, but all dealing with Biden's mention that it would be an African-American woman. Now, this is not a new conversation. If you Google any picture, historic pictures from the Supreme Court, you'll notice that up until the 1970s, 1980s, that the racial and gender makeup of the Supreme Court since its foundings has always represented only one race and only one gender, contrary to the makeup of our country. So it was frustrating. It was interesting, I guess I should say, is the most benign way to say it, that as President Biden said that he would look for a qualified African-American woman judge to replace Justice Breyer, that the conversation and the criticism, the critique stopped at African-American and fully ended on the word, descriptive word, women. This country in my profession, belonging to the legal profession, has failed spectacularly with a triumphant failure to accurately portray African-American women within the profession. They have failed this country, the ability for us to properly matriculate, appoint, and elect African-American females to the judiciary is especially disheartening because for all of my career, I've dedicated it to the law, understanding the law, and to advocating on behalf of individuals. So when you look 
And when I walked in, I'm a litigator, so that means for some of you who don't know, you spend the majority of your time, you spend a lot, of, you spend more time than say a transactional attorney in court. And when having practiced since 1998, you walk into court and still to this day, I can count on one hand the number of times that I've walked into a courthouse, be it civil or criminal. And there was an African-American one, but then an African-American female sitting on the bench robed. So when we look at Justice Byers' resignation and the promise to some, and if you're in another camp, the threat by Biden to to appoint a African-American judge, I thought that it would be the perfect opportunity to just present some numbers so that listeners can get an idea of why that this is important and why we should consider this. They're in business, in our homes, in our schools. The topic of the day is diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we say those three words, for some, you gloss over, your eyes gloss over. Oh my God, I've heard this so many times before. For others, is this just the most modern iteration of affirmative action? Is this just the new repackaging of old ideas? What I do know is that no matter what you call it, affirmative action, initiative, diversity and equity and inclusion, it is not going away because our country and our world is changing, has been changing, it's always changing, and it's becoming more diverse. And individuals are demanding that those in authority, those that lead, and those that have an impact on their lives more fully represent them. And there is no other public institution that directly impacts the average ordinary system than the judiciary. I did an episode once, or maybe it was wrote a blog, about what are the last few remaining ways that the American public interacts with its government. Today, you can no longer walk up to the White House or walk into a state building without having an appointment being pre-approved. And now post-COVID, it's even worse. But before COVID, you couldn't walk in. I remember being a child in Washington, D.C., and when my father drove a cab there, you can drive past the White House in his cab. That was kind of the delight, sitting in the back seat and doing that. And you can get close to the Capitol building. Now, forget it. Even after the January 6th mob or coup d'etat, on the United States Capitol, the attempted coup d'etat on the U.S. Capitol. You can no longer get close. So the judiciary, judges going to court, the municipal courts, they are really the last remnants that an American citizen, the physical contact that they can have with their government, maybe that and the U.S. Postal Service, when your postal worker delivers your mail, are there any other ways that you can really have that face-to-face contact? I don't think so. I think that's it. So when we think about the impact that this institution, the judicial system has on everyday citizens, how wonderful would it be to have sit at that table in the Supreme Court an individual who is able to speak from their perspective and to add a new voice a new way because of different lived experiences. African-American women have, and I mean this quite literally, built and bred, and I don't mean bred, B-R-E-A-D. I mean bred, B-R-E-D, 
They have actually bred and been bred by the American society and used to birth children against their will. We have propped up this country for centuries, and it is only fitting that now there is a voice on the U.S. Supreme Court that can talk about that lived experience and a voice that will have an impact on decisions that impact us all. Coming back to some of the numbers, rather, that I wanted to share with you on the current makeup of our court system, I conferred with a report that was put out. These numbers are a little old, and sometimes they're not they're not reflective of recent federal court appointments and on the circuit court, and on, excuse me, on the district courts and on the appellate courts. But if we look back from the most comprehensive report that I can find that captures these numbers from the end of 2019, and I am looking at a report that examined the demographic composition of U.S. Supreme Courts, and that's the name of the article that I looked at and was put together by the Democracy and Government Reform Team. And in this reporting, they very accurately described, and I want to quote directly from this, it stated that the U.S. Supreme Court may be the federal judiciary's crowning jewel, but it's U.S. district courts, which are the trial courts, and the U.S. Court of Appeals, which hears the appeals from those lower courts. It's these two court systems that are the true workhorses. The U.S. Supreme Court hears only, only about 2% of cases every year. And what that really means that the majority of cases filed in federal courts are decided by judges who are working in district and circuit courts. So while we all are focused on what the Supreme Court is doing and it gets lots of press, we have marches around Supreme Court decisions that are coming up in cases they're here. What we need to be doing and focusing on is what's going on, who are hearing cases and who are sitting on our circuit and our appellate courts. So a report from the Center for American Progress examine the judges, female judges, judges of color, and those individuals that are identifying as LGBTQ. And they looked across the federal landscape. And the numbers really tell a story that our judicial system is lacking, woefully lacking in diversity, gender, race, and these may not be surprising, or you may say, come on, Judy, tell me something new. But I'm not telling you these numbers as some feigned outrage, like, can you believe this is still going on? Why is this still happening? I'm telling you this so that you'll be armed during your conversations at work, at school, with your children even, and that you'll have numbers to quote. And there will be a depth to our conversation beyond just jaded dismissal of yet another podcaster talking about lack of diversity, blah, blah, blah. That's not the goal or the purpose. The purpose today and of this show is for you to get some hard facts and to sit with it and to ask yourself, how can it still be like this? What is it? If our country, if we have this constitution, this legal document that touts liberty, the pursuit of our happiness. And if that was always the goal, and if this is a living document, and we have a 
songs, we have mottos, we are campaigning around the world for our democracy being the most free, the most progressive example. I am recording this while we just started the Winter Olympics and our presidential delegation is boycotting and not sending a delegation to the Beijing Winter Olympics because of the human rights violations that are going on in China. If that's the type of stance that we're taking around the world and we're shining a light on their atrocities, their lack of diversity, their lack of inclusivity, then we have to turn that same light on ourselves and we have to avoid hypocrisy within our own family, our own structures and our institutions here in America. So the purpose of this podcast and this show is to say, no, not again. I'm not just reading to you numbers. It's to say, wait a minute, we can do better. This is the starting point. These numbers that I'm giving you are the starting points from 2019. And let's ensure that as we go forward in 2022, 23, 24, that when I come back to you again on a show, in those later years that these numbers would have doubled. So this is just a starting point. And I'm encouraged... And this, so this is going to be our, if we're starting off, this is a new year. We have to have a baseline to know where to improve from. Here's your baseline, listeners. Some of the numbers as given in this report. So if we look at our federal judges, 10% of our sitting judges, and sitting judges means those that are, that are active full-time, only 10% are African-Americans. It's even worse when we look at our lower federal courts for Hispanic or Latin. Latino, they're only 7% are active full-time and 4% of our lower federal judges are of Asian descent or identify as Asian Americans. Of those numbers, so of that number that I just gave, there's only 27% of sitting judges, active judges full-time in the federal court systems are women. And 0.9% of full-time judges are identified as LGBTQ. These numbers continue on to show that when we look at race and ethnicity, among our active judges, white judges represent at least 80% of the bench or half of all of our circuit courts throughout the United States. And what I'll do for individuals that when I talk about the circuit courts, how our country is broken up and by way of history, I'm going to link to just describe some of these words that I'm using, the circuit court. But when you bring a case in federal court versus state court, it's brought in a circuit and the circuit could be made up of different jurisdictions. So for example, if you were to file a case or an incident happened in state court in Brooklyn. It would be heard in a state court within Brooklyn versus if you bring a case within a circuit court, that's comprised of different areas or locations within that circuit. And what I'll do is that I'll describe that in the show notes, but just going on when we are looking, when I was talking just about race and and ethnicity and saying that 80% of the bench is absolutely only white judges, there is not a single circuit court where there is a majority comprised of people of color. Again, these numbers are from 2019 and there have been new appointments and there have been changes 
with the recent Biden administration. So these numbers may lag behind. But I dare say that even from 2019 to where we are, 2022, that we've doubled or made a significant dent in this data that I'm reporting today. When we look at the area of gender and sexual orientation, only one circuit court is composed of at least 50% full-time female judges. And there's just one circuit court that includes a judge who self-identifies as LGBTQ that may have changed. And I hope that number has changed. When we look at the grouping or the classification of women of color, and this will highlight what we're discussing today, Biden's appointment of a woman of color to the Supreme Court justice in the announcement that Justice Breyer is retiring. When we look below the Supreme Court at where all of the activity is going on and where decisions and rules are being made that affects your life, when you're talking about women of color, eight of the 13 circuit courts. So that is roughly 62% of those courts have no women of color serving as judges, no women of color in about 13 circuit courts. So what that means is that women of color, they don't even make up one fifth of any circuit court. So you can travel around in your car, you can visit the circuit courts around these United States of America and never run into, never open a courtroom door where there is a woman of color who is able to write, weigh in on a decision, provide that take, that lens that she sees the law through. And these are laws that are impacting people of color, families of color, businesses of color. That's why it's important. In the converse, in contrast, if I was reading these same numbers and saying that 80% of our federal system, of our judicial system, when we speak federally, is made up of only people of color and that you can travel around and open a courtroom door and never see an individual of European descent, a white person, that would be disturbing to us, wouldn't it? And if I said that laws that impact business, families, and individuals were being made by only people of color, only women of color, and there was not one single male voice one single male holding a pen or typing at a desktop and weighing in and drafting and writing these opinions. Not one man who was giving their take on the law, their interpretation. That would be disturbing also. So it is my hope that these numbers will show us and will serve, like I said, as a benchmark of where we need to go and what we need to do. I think that the president's, I don't know if it's a promise, the president's endeavor to do due diligence. And they have whole teams of individuals that are vetting and looking for candidates. And I hope that this does happen. I hope that we do have a candidate that's put forward. And more importantly, that's just the first step. We know that the Senate has to approve it. And if you're like me, you always watch these, you, you watch these hearings, you listen to the vetting process. And it's my hope that we can. How amazing would that be to see an African-American woman? And we know that that individual will be qualified. I even feel annoyed that there's some thought, there's some assumption that because 
you have that those words African-American woman that is, the person is not going to be qualified. I'd say to the contrary, you're going to find someone who's so overqualified because you're going to want to show, you're going to want to have to prove beyond every reasonable shadow of a doubt that this person is beyond above and beyond qualified. But that would be what we need. That would be exactly what this country needs, exactly what we need. But not only do we need that at the Supreme Court level, what these numbers show and what I said at the top of the episode, that the Supreme Court guys only hears 2% of cases. So the real diversity that we need, and I certainly hope that this administration has the opportunity and the will to appoint in the circuit courts and the appellate courts more people of color. And that together will create laws, judiciary, that better represents the lived experiences of legal consumers and of the public. This is the benchmark where we're starting from. It will only get better from here. I know it will. I know that this judicial institution that I've worked in is not going to let me down and it's not going to let you down and that we can do better. We will do better and we have. So thank you for listening. And before I go, I do want to wish everyone a very, very happy African-American, if you call it, or if you call it a Black History Month. I did a, a very short, not that long article on the Grising Law website and also a video in the Welcome Law newsletter. I invite you to hop over and take a look at that. But this is African-American History Month that I'm recording this. And how fitting is it for us to think about this institution, our court system, and how and why it should be more diverse. Until next time, take care and be well. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.